This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to the business section of our business masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the finance team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Leandi Stretter, business coach and guide from RaceCorp. Welcome, Leandi. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for being with us. Staying with us from our previous segment, Mark Essie, CEO of Detin. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Leandi. So, Mark, let's talk a little about Debt In, this wonderful company that you started up nine years ago. When I say wonderful company, because collecting out debt is not an easy task. Um, I think as an economy, we, as we've talked about, we've struggled in this space. Tell us a little bit about Debt In and what you do, how you do it, and where, where things started from. Okay. So, Richard, what we we do is we we debt collectors in its purest form uh not the guys with baseball bats and chains as people often joke with me um we yeah we, mark we know all about you on a <laughs> bad friday night yeah knocking at doors at two o'clock in the morning yeah um richard we play mainly 95 percent of our business is in the pre-legal space mm-hmm. we do okay. collections on um in the, we do ba- collections in the financial services and retail segment. Mm. Uh, we collect for the likes of FNB, Standard Bank. Um, we're hopefully going to be getting some work from APSA. And then we collect in the retail segment as well, Woolworths Financial Services. Um, and we have a fairly good presence in the telco sector as well. Um, as I said to you, and we do some we do municipal debt recovery as well. We do work for the city of Johannesburg as well. Um, we, as I said to you, we do mainly pre-legal debt collection work, which is we have a call center based in Durban. And um, we do work with attorneys from time to time, although that's not our bread and butter um, work. Uh, we have done some consulting on distressed uh, debtors books in terms of uh, clients looking to sell the book and what we've gone in and, and given an opinion on what we think the book is worth. And then we also... Um, uh, we, we, we also um, assist in terms of the whole credits, the working capital cycle. So we'll look at a, uh, uh, we'll look at a business and, and look at how they initiate sales all the way through to how those sales are processed in their back offices and how they collect out on the sales. Okay, so um, a bit of a bit of almost let's call it business process uh, from a from a let's call it a collections right. perspective. Okay, correct, correct. Um, Richard, we started the business. The business started in 2008, and it was actually born out of a conversation I had with one of my – I was previously in the banking world. Mm-hmm. I was a banker, and I had left the bank, and I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine from from the banking world, and he was saying to me that um, there was – 2008, you remember, was when the markets were crashing. Uh, there was a global financial crisis, mm-hmm. and – that he thought there would possibly be an a, a opportunity in debt collection. Mm. And um, 
quite by chance, well, we, when I say by chance, we had put out an advert and somebody approached us and it was an existing debt collection company based down in Durban. And he was looking to exit the business and he approached me and said, well, look, there's an opportunity. Why don't you come and have a look and see if you like the business? And, and with a view to, he wanted us to buy him out. And there's quite a bit more to the story, but that's basically how we started out. Hmm. There's, there's always a story within a story, as we know. Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I think the the reality on 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 many of uh, the these things is there's always an opportunity, and as an entrepreneur, you identify that it's there, and then you you say, let's do this, and you you make you make your way through the the journey. So, give us a little bit about. You as Mark and your journey in entrepreneurship, what have you discovered about yourself? Tell us your background. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Okay. So with hindsight, it's always a great thing because <laughs> if I look back, I think I was all, uh, the, the entrepreneur in me was always trying to get out. Um, went to varsity, did a BCom. I went to go and work in a family business, um, doing the finances in the business and it was great for a couple of years, and then um, I, I wanted to do a little bit. I wanted to do something else and further my studies. So I, I went back to varsity after six years of working and and got my honours degree, and then went into the banking space. So I went to work for F and B, and um, I was there for for four years initially. I left to go and become a stockbroker, which was something I always wanted to do, but my timing was terrible. Uh, I joined the stockbroking profession in 1999, 2000, which was when the whole tech bubble burst. <laughs> so I finally got in, but the markets were in such disarray. It was terrible. And I also got a position as a private client stockbroker, and all private clients were doing at that time was running mm. for cover <laughs> and putting their, trying to, re, trying to recuperate some of their money. So, um, I was a stockbroker for about three years. I sort of scratched that itch mm. and then went back to, um, to F&B actually and spent another four years there. Very happy years. I was, I was very happy as a banker. But looking back on it now, entrepreneurship was always something that, that called to me, if I can say that. Um, I mean, when I was at Varsity, uh, myself and the lady that worked for us started a little shabine in our backyard and always <laughs> one been does. my hands. <laughs> Pardon? As one does when you're a student. Yes, absolutely. Lucrative business, very liquid that very, one. Very lucrative. I mean, I was importing bales of secondhand clothes from Eastern Europe. Wow. So always sort of trying to make a bit of extra money on the side. So when I, I, I left banking for the second time, I um, I joined my father-in-law in his property development business, but and again, I was very happy, but it just wasn't it wasn't satisfying enough, and in terms of wanting to be out there on my own. And um, when this opportunity in debt collection came up, uh, I jumped at it. It was quite a scary thought because I mean, my financial my background wasn't debt collection, uh, never mind call centers or debt collection call center. But um, yeah, it was exciting and. And I finally was in something where I was deciding on my own destiny, which is scary as it, as it was. It was very exciting. And um, nine years later, I'm happy to say I'm still my own boss. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. And, and we yeah. have a business that's grown really, really well, I'm, I'm proud to say. I'm, I'm happy to say. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think if you look at some of your client base, I mean, it's quite clear that you have the 
capabilities and competencies to to keep the big banks and and others uh, comfortable with your your activities and and what mm. you're able to deliver for them. So, Mark, take us through the challenge, and not the challenge, the challenges that you experienced in. In yeah, let's call it taking over somebody's existing business. I mean, you didn't start this up uh, purely from scratch. Uh, it, it, it's you know, and I, I often think you know people go, "Oh, start up business really hard." Well, what's even harder is buying somebody else's business right. and then figuring out how you're going to make it work. And you know, generally, you don't want to be buying somebody else's uh, brilliant business and paying. You know, a premium for it. Generally, when you're looking to acquire a business, you're acquire, wanting to acquire something at a discount where you can see huge, massive upside by doing something different. Mm. But you're constrained by, you know, the staff of the past, the approach of the past, and all of the other elements that come from buying an existing business. Take us through some of those challenges that you that you faced in that. Let's call it business acquisition, and then growth part of of, of growing the business. Okay, well, I think the first challenge came very early on in that the business we were looking to acquire and we were doing the due diligence and I think we we got out of the starting blocks a little bit too quickly because um, we sort of got into it and then realized we got into it before due diligence being properly done and then realized this all that glitters is not gold. It wasn't glittering very much, but it was def- <laughs> there was definitely no gold there and we we quickly had to sort of extricate ourselves out of it. Um, Interesting. And we were assured that within six months we'd be making money, et cetera, et cetera. And I alluded to the fact that I hadn't been in debt collection before, and I, I learned a very hard lesson very early on. Um, it was very clear to me that the existing client base would, wasn't anywhere near to supporting the business. And um, we had to get out there and go and win over new clients. And um, I knocked – very hard on all the on my network in terms of connections and people I knew and yeah it was it was it was very challenging and eventually we actually um, ended up moving out of those business premises into our own premises where there were I think there were eight of us at the time and it was those those early days were very challenging very very challenging um, Mark, and as you alluded to Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. Something exciting no. comes up for me. So that was obviously, I mean, the beginning and it was, you know, you're going after something and there's a lot of hard work. Um, but I, I get the sense that you learned a lot of really important lessons. What's the most important thing you learned about yourself back then that still sustains you today? Okay, so I get very excited about things and mm. often like to rush into something. And what I learned about it, and it still stands me in good stead still now, today, is to be a little bit more circumspect about opportunities and also mm. um, the fear of losing something if I don't move quickly enough. And right. I think moving quickly is very important, but moving quickly without checking, I think, is 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 um, is not very not not a very clever strategy. So rather take a little bit more time up front. Uh, do the necessary checks, um, then rush into something and then sort of scratch your head afterwards and go, what have I done? What have I got myself into? Because <laughs> okay, yeah. I did it. There was a lot of head scratching and a lot of gnashing of teeth and going, oh, my God, well, how are we going to get ourselves out of it? And I think if I if I'd pushed back a little bit, 
you know, mm. and said, this is a fantastic opportunity. Thank you. But I just need to do a little bit more homework. And if the deal's going to run away because it took me a week longer, well, then, and it's easy, as I said, it's easy to be philosophical about it with hindsight. Mm. But, um, of course. It would have stood me in good stead then. Okay, great. And now, now you're about to move. You were eight, and now you're about to move into bigger offices. We have actually moved into them. We moved into them. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. We, we just, so we, we moved into our own offices, and I was seriously sort of hitting the streets trying to find uh, clients. And fortunately, we, we landed uh, after about four or five months of sort of knocking on doors and sending out proposals and, and, and present, presenting. We, we landed our first client, um, and it was, it was a collection on a book that they had outsourced to somebody else, and they weren't really sure what was in there. And what started off as a pure collections exercise ended up being a bit of a forensic audit where we, we actually charged some fees. And looking back on it, being able to charge fees because uh, was was actually a, a, it was a godsend because it sort of started bringing in revenue straight away because with a lot of collection mandates, it often takes four or five months before any real money starts to come through, whereas we mm. were able to um, bill hours, which was great because it got us going quite quickly. Mm. And, you know, once we had our first client on board, our first corporate gave us a bit of credibility. So when I went and knocked on okay. someone's door and they said to me, well, who are your existing clients? I could at least show them one. <laughs> it just made it, it made it a little bit easier it, to get more business. It, it's, it's always easier not to sell vaporware, isn't it? Mark? Absolutely right. <laughs> vaporware, I, I love that expression. <laughs> and there was lots of selling of vaporware in those days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me, let me sell you my service. I've got no one else who's bought it from me before and you'll be the first to experience me firsthand. But hey, <laughs> pay me a lot of money to do this for you. Now, Absolutely Mark, right. I mean, you said to us, and you've emphasized it two or three times, you had no experience in the world of collections. So why debt collection as an area of focus? It sounds so almost counterintuitive, like, you know, this was not your area of expertise. Why did you think you could do this? Well, I think, again, being a little bit naive helped <laughs> get me into the business, um, my last position um, at FNB was I headed up the operations for the data finance division. So in my mind, that gave me a little bit of street cred in the debt collections world. Um, and I think it's an association that probably only I can draw in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, a lot of people have said, why debt collection? You know, you don't wake up one morning and decide you want to be a debt collector. And I agree. I, I completely agree with that. But, I, I really did see an opportunity um, and uh, part of something, part of what I've done in my various positions is always sort of try to service my clients as well as possible. Mm. And, and what I thought is let me try and give that, let, let's do that in debt collection. Um, you know, uh, I had a, a financial qualification and there are business debt collection businesses out there that have that, but you know, debt collection had, and I don't think doesn't have the greatest reputation still mm. today. Mm. And I thought, well, let me try and bring a client service element into it. And, and maybe it sounds a bit cliched, but when we train our agents, we still, I still say to them today is think of yourself as providing your data with a solution. You know, I'm providing you a solution to get out of the financial trouble you're in mm. and, and see them as a client, you know, not just as someone that you're out there collecting from. And I think that has really helped. Now, Mark, I mean, 
you, you've talked a little about, you know, the fee environment and the ability to offer that as, as kind of a service interaction point for you that, that, that you did. I mean, what other services are you able to offer? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to what you're describing and the activities of the business, and I'm going, hey, uh, you, you know, you must have such a rich data pool of information around behaviors and what people do and how they do it. I mean, do you only do you do uh, only business to business collections, business to consumer? What, what, what market do you really focus on? So, Richard, um, up until about a year ago, I'd say that, again, the 95% of our business came from business-to-consumer collections. Um, we've recently stepped into the, the world of business-to-business collections, and um, That's interesting. we offer a white-label product where we collect on behalf of businesses from their clients, and their clients don't know that they're dealing with an outsourced partner. Mm. Um, no, no, I mean, for me, that there must be huge advantages to doing that uh, from a business perspective because if I think of it, if I want to do debt collection in, a, in, in any business, I've got to have a debtor's clerk who, you know, it's a case of, well, what is the capacity? And then, you know, the reality is, well, the capacity isn't being used completely because they're doing a morning's job or whatever, but I still need the debtor's clerk, so I'm buying, you know, the resource requirement is, is there and I'm buying this resource. Um, what do, you know, I guess for me, it's about making what could be a very fixed cost, a very variable cost because you're paying for the time and the energy and the focus. And also, obviously, you've got quality people that are well experienced across a few industries now and a few clients potentially doing the collection for you as opposed to somebody who's a novice. Correct. Correct. That's exactly yeah. That's exactly it. And, and what we're also trying to do is, you know, we, we sort of trained in the rules of engagement, mm. uh, so to speak. So... um uh, in my mind, and it's a subjective view, but I, I do think that when we engage with customers, we, we, we take a sort of a very professional and, and not clinical approach, but it's, I think it's a lot cleaner than, than sort of, you know, um, the CEO or a debtor's lady that sits in the corner of the office and, and uh, you know, works. I, I, what I'm trying to say is we depersonalize it a little bit and make it a bit easier to collect the money. Yeah. Now, I, I guess the the question I would have is, you know, what what are the what are the advantages in, in the space nowadays from from a collections perspective as you, you as you engage, um, you know, I mean, there there are so there's so much technology around. You must have access to technology that perhaps I wouldn't have as a, let me call it run-of-the-mill businessman, when it comes to knowing and understanding my my debtor's book and uh, the systems around it and being able to be efficient and effective in, in what I do. So what do you bring to to the party that, that makes my my use of your services almost, you know, uh, let, let me, you know, back back in the day when I'll use the example when photocopiers were big and bulky and expensive pieces of equipment, you know, you didn't want to buy your own photocopier, but you'd go to the copy shop down the road and use the photocopier there and pay for usage. In much the same way, you must have technology and capabilities that 
the general business out there doesn't have that allows you to be more effective and efficient in your collections process. What, what are some of the upsides and some of the things that you're using? Well, absolutely right. And I mean, Richard, you alluded to it earlier. First of all, we have resources here that um, if, we, if we put them in a pool and service a couple of clients, make it more cost-effective for a business, they may not be able to afford to bring in one person and pay them a salary on a full-time basis. Their collections may not be a full-time job. Although in some businesses it's, it's more than a, a full, you know, it's a whole department. But what we do is we take that hassle away from running the department. Mm. And we, we do have technology that sort of bring us, that have economies of scale. And what it does is it, it, it brings the cost factor down significantly. Mm. Um, you know, we, we have an on-site data analyst while in the world of, you know, which makes a difference to how we cut up the data. And, you know, we can almost run campaigns if there's a specific area of focus that you want to run on your debtors book. We can, we can design a campaign around that, um, mm. put it through the call center. There, there are a whole lot of benefits that start to flow mm. from using, using a resource like us. Mm. Now, Mark, I mean, there obviously must be unhappiness at some point from some people when they're getting that phone yes. call from your, your environment. How do you deal with those unhappy clients? I mean, give us some insights into so I'm sure, I'm sure everybody in their business all ha- always have war stories. Mm. Share us, uh, please change all names to protect the innocent. Uh, <laughs> share, share one or two always like insights that you've gained where, where things haven't gone quite as, you would have liked them and, and you kind of go, guys out there in business, be aware of the following things. Don't do the following stuff because it makes it impossible for us to collect on, on further down the track. Yeah. Well, one, Richard, funnily enough, what, what does happen quite often is that, um, people extend credit without having, having any sort of agreement in place other than maybe a two line email. Mm. Or a telephone conversation that's not recorded, so it becomes sort of hearsay. Mm. Um, and my mind just boggles when I, I look at how much of a certain product was supplied or how much credit was extended before somebody decided to put some sort of paper, piece of paperwork in place. Um, and, and that often leads to a huge amount of unhappiness. Um, and I, when I say unhappiness, I'm talking about on, on the, the creditors part, not on the debtor specifically, mm. because the debtor's not paying, and you know, then the guys, the guys come up and they, they want to know why we can't collect and why we're completely ineffective, and I'll say, well, no, we can't produce any paperwork, you know, the first thing the guys do, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's business or it's consumer debt that we're collecting out on, once we establish contact with the right parties, invariably, the first or second thing they ask for is, send me a proof of delivery, send me a signature, send me some sort of agreement. And if I can't produce that, there's just no ways we can proceed any further. Yeah. Okay. So you, so I'm hearing you saying, make sure that you get your, um, you know, all your documentation in place, make sure you know exactly what, what, where you stand legally and what your, what your, let's call it your lines of engage or rules of engagement mm. are relative to, to the business. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a very, very valid, uh, co- uh, comment. Now, Mark, I mean, you've obviously had years of experience now as you've moved, moved through as an entrepreneur. You've cut your teeth on, on this. I'm going to ask you to, to think back over, over these, this last nine years, this journey that you've had and, and 
I'm going to pose a question to you and say, assuming you nine years ago had been sitting back and listening to a station, a station, a podcast, whatever it may be, and there was somebody on the air talking about business and their experiences in business, what are the maybe two or three things that you now know that if you had heard back then, nine years ago, would have allowed you to be a better entrepreneur, run a better business, have more success, avoid a pitfall. So literally, a this is your pay-it-forward opportunity to, to let listeners out there listen to something and say, hey, be careful of X, Y, or Z. It'll help you in your in your business in the future. So almost your pay-it-forward opportunity to say, listen, he has the two or three things that would really are really important and critical that you need to watch. Okay, so if I have to think back, one of the most important things um, is hire people you can't afford. And and what I mean by that is make sure that you have the best talent, and if you need to stretch yourselves yourself, if I I think people just spending a bit extra on getting the right people. Um, in the business, Jim Collins talks about getting the right people on the bus. Mm. I think it's absolutely critical. And also, um, the number of times I've hesitated when thinking about getting rid of somebody that's not adding value to my business. And not to sound heartless or ruthless, but um, if there's somebody that's a problem in, in the business, what I do now is I try and get them out as quickly as possible before they do mm. um, too much collateral damage. Because... It's just it's it's like a it's like an infection, um, and uh, sorry if I'm coming across a little bit. It's something that's really I think if I knew that you know I'd kind of heard about employing people you can't afford, but I've I've actually lived it. And every time I've employed somebody that's asking for twenty or thirty, and and not just for the sake of it, but if they have the qualifications and the experience that goes with it, it's it's paid itself back. They've 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 paid their Increasing salary a hundred times. Mm. Well, I think, I think that for me is well. That's an important learning because I think often we we allow ourselves to get um, almost let me call it sidetracked mm. with you know you worrying about um, you know you worrying about all sorts of things in the business and you worrying about working on activities and products and all the rest and, and what you're telling us is the importance of the people. Mm. And, and hiring quality people really outstrips many of the other elements in your business. Absolutely. Mark, any other thoughts that you can think of right now that you go, hey, you also need to be aware of X, Y, or Z? <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of not being scared to push back. And, and again, not in, a, not in a destructive way, but sort of standing firm and, and, and just, you know, when I started out in the business, there were a lot of client requests that – I, I, I couldn't, I, 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 didn't, I didn't say no to because I was scared to and then ended up either not delivering a, pro, a quality service or, or being late. You know, rather negotiate up front or renegotiate or then not say something and end up disappointing the client. Yeah. You know, um, my experience has, has shown me that clients are often appreciative if, you, mm. if I just stick up my hand and I say, you know what, you want it within a week, give me three extra days. Mm. And I'll I'll absolutely get it to you rather than, you know, on day six of seven, 
coming back to them and saying the deadline was absolutely impossible and, and you're just pushing <laughs> back a little bit. Yeah, being honest and direct. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark, if people want to get hold of you, how do we do this if they're looking for your support of debt in? Okay. So email, um, it's mark at debt in, D-E-B-T-I-N dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, we have a Facebook page as well. If you look up debt in, we'll be debt with a hyphen, debt hyphen in. Um, our website is www.debt-in. And then lastly, I am available on my mobile, um, 082-376-2782. Great. Mark, thank you very much. That's Mark Essie, CEO of Debtin. Mark, thank you very much for your time today. We really do appreciate your insights. A great business, great learnings, uh, and yeah, a great pay it forward question there. So thank you very much. Thank next, you. next up, the Youth Leadership Platform. Stay with us. This is CliffCentral.com.